If you have your Bibles, please open up to Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have some on the back by the sound booth. If you use the Bible app, uh, Uversion, uh, we have a live event going on. So please uh, grab that, do some way, follow along with us. Uh, and uh, this last weekend was our 40th anniversary, and we uh, talked a lot about our church, which you would imagine. And uh, one of the things that I was thinking about is our legacy as a church. And what was our legacy going to be as a church? And um, I thought about how do you measure that? Uh, and uh, I thought about how do you measure that as an individual? Like, what is the legacy that I, Kyle, am going to leave? Um, and, and I started thinking about a couple weeks ago, I was at a, I was at a funeral um, uh, of someone, and I, you know, was just going to pay respects. And as I was uh, listening to the stories that they told about this individual, I, uh, I started writing down some stuff in my notes because I was, uh, I was impacted by the stories that were happening. Because typically at a funeral, uh, when your life is over and your legacy that you leave, people talk about uh, the kind of, for me specifically, the kind of dad that I was, the kind of husband that I was, and the kind of friend that I was. And so, you know, you heard stories along those, uh, those lines, but something that impacted me uh, above that uh, at, this, at, at this funeral. And um, over and over and over again, uh, people kept saying, this person showed me the gospel. This person embodied the gospel, this person over and over in all their stories, whether it was a hilarious story or a sad story or a serious story, it was so gospel-centered that you could not avoid thinking, man, this person lived a great life. And the legacy that they are leaving is more than stories. It's lives that were impacted by the gospel. And as a pastor here and thinking about the life of this church and being a part of the life of this church for a quarter of its life, um, I care about the legacy that we leave. And um, I, I truly believe that the legacy that, that we are supposed to leave um, is gospel seeds, is that the gospel has gone forward in this community from uh, the people of Heritage Park, and lives were changed because the gospel went forward. And as I was thinking about this, um, I, uh, I came across this passage, Acts chapter 16. If you, uh, if you know anything about the book of Acts, this is uh, Paul on uh, one of his journeys. He's entering into uh, Europe if you will, and um, he is uh, on on the way there, and as he enters into Philippi, he meets this young lady named Lydia at like a, he was at a prayer meeting, and she came around, and she heard the gospel, because that's what Paul did. He went in, and he preached the gospel, and she heard the gospel, and she gave her life to Jesus. And then she went back and told her family and her whole family uh, became followers of Jesus, right? And then the next week, 
uh, Paul was coming back to the same place, he comes across this young lady who was uh, worked for a fortune teller guy, and uh, she was possessed by a demon. And uh, Paul saw her in her pain, offered her freedom through the gospel. She accepted freedom for the gospel. Her life was transformed by Jesus. And when your life is transformed by Jesus, uh, bad stuff doesn't stay there. It goes away. And her bosses were upset, and they uh, got a hold of the authorities, and they said, this guy needs to go. And that's where we pick up. Um, Paul's been beaten. He's been put into prison. Uh, and in verse 25, um, in verse 25, we, we pick up uh, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out, no, 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 in a loud voice, no, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And then he took them uh, the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. And then he brought them up to his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. When the gospel um, is, is going forward in an area, there always is um, this sense of having to overcome tragedy. There's a sense of having to overcome tragedy. Actually, the church historically has flourished in the midst of tragedy. You think about the early uh, followers of Jesus, all of the apostles gave their life for what they believed. Every single one of them uh, constantly accepted this uh, hardship that was coming towards them. The church has historically flourished in the midst of tragedy. Its early leaders struggled uh, with adversity coming towards them left and right, and no one ever questioned it. They just assumed this was part of the way a Christian was supposed to live. Paul was put in jail for helping a young girl get better. And he didn't go to jail kicking and screaming. He knew that this could be used to advance the kingdom. Him going to jail for no reason at all could be used to advance the kingdom. In the midst of his tragedy, uh, he knew that God could use it. And we've been given a tragedy, right? What happened uh, to the countless homes in our area is a tragedy. We have an opportunity in the midst of this tragedy to step up and to see the gospel go forward in countless lives in our community. The church has uh, historically flourished in the midst of tragedy, uh, and uh, what we do in the midst uh, shows a lot about him. Uh, worshiping God through hardship shows our trust in him. 
Paul and Silas are there. And um, we can look at what's happening to us and be frustrated. Or we can see as part of the journey. So Paul and Silas sang. They said, you know, God has placed me here for a reason. He's put me in jail for no purpose at all, but I trust him. I trust that he is in control of all things. I trust that what they say at Heritage Park, Jesus reigns over everything, isn't just a tagline or isn't something cool to put on shirts, but that is, that is truth from the gospel. And if Jesus reigns over things, that means he's in control of everything. That means that he's in control of my position that I am in here right now. Paul, Silas, in jail for no good reason, in the bowels of the jail, shackled to the wall, sang. They worshiped God because they trusted God in that moment. They trusted that Jesus reigns over everything. And when we fully trust God, our circumstances, be be good or bad, our circumstances do not determine our outcomes. When we trust God, our circumstances do not determine our outcomes. He holds everything together. The creator of the universe, Jesus, he bends his ear to listen to his people when they cry out to him. The creator of the universe, sustainer of all things, listens to us. He has a plan. And where you are right now is part of that plan. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but trust him that he will work things out for your good. And don't be tempted to take the easy way out. Paul and Silas are there worshiping God. Earthquake comes. They could take the easy way out, couldn't they? The doors are opened. They can walk out of this jail. And this is what the jailer assumed happens. The doors are open. Everyone's shackles are off. They're gone. But they didn't take the easy way out. Sometimes when we're doing the ministry of God, the enemy will open up a door to distract us, to give us an out. But Paul knew that he was there for a purpose. And you think about it, if Paul would have left, like most of us would have, right? Let's just be honest. The jailer's entire family tree would not have been altered. But because he trusted that God placed him there for a purpose, the jailer and all the people in his house, their lives that were once far from God are now followers of Jesus Christ. Because Paul and Silas trusted, trusted Jesus and trusted his plan. He never said it was going to be easy, but he did say it would be worth it. So when tragedy comes, when hardship comes our direction, just like it has already, we face it as a a group, as a body, as a church, and we worship God because we trust that he has a plan, that he's in control of everything. And we're not going to take the easy way out. It's going to be hard, but it will be worth it. 
Paul and Silas. Uh, they were thrown in, in jail, and their um, attitude while they were in jail was that of advancing the gospel of God, advancing the kingdom through the gospel. And they did that um, in, in, in two different ways, which I think are one actual way. It's by showing and sharing the gospel. They did this uh, because they uh, were showing and sharing the gospel. Uh, Their church planning strategy consisted of the gospel being made known to everyone that they saw. Uh, They were put in jail for showing and sharing the gospel, right? They're walking around, saw a girl struggling, offered assistance, right? Is that not what we're doing? We saw a family struggling. We're offering assistance to get them back into their home. But as we're doing that, they showed the gospel and then they shared the gospel with her. The reality is that the gospel is uh, it's offensive to the average Western person. Because what we think we can do is pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can take care of it. I can DIY my life. What the gospel says is, no, 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 you can't do it yourself. You've been trying to do it yourself over and over and over again, and you constantly fail, and you constantly drive a wedge further and further between you and God. You cannot do it yourself, and because you can't do it yourself, Jesus came to do it for you. And What he offers is an extended arm for you to trust that he is the one that can actually make your life better. He is the only one that can save you. And it is not until we reach out our hand and stop trying to do it ourselves, and we reach out our hand and grab a hold of he who holds all things together, that is when we are saved. Their church planning strategy wasn't to set up a committee, wasn't trying to find a piece of property. Their church planning strategy was to, to share the gospel over and over and over. And as that happened, lives were changed, whole households were changed, and whole households began to meet together. And this is how the the church of the New Testament began. The gospel is offensive, though. When you look at your neighbors and your friends and the people that you love that are far from God, they are trying to do this their self We were there once, or maybe we are still there right now, trying to live our lives ourselves, trying to do it ourselves, trying to take care, make ourselves a better person, set ourselves up so that we're better than most, so that at the end of days, we can look at and say, well, at least I'm better than those people, so that might be uh, good enough. But your best is not good enough. And that's what the gospel says, is your best is not good enough. It's actually filthy rags. But you know what? It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus did it for you. So trust them. Reach out your arm and grab a hold of him who can save you. That was their plan. They went into towns and they looked at people and said, hey, you're not good enough, but Jesus is. Trust them. Our church planning strategy needs to be the same. It needs to be focused on people, and it needs to be focused on the gospel. Uh, how many of you guys have seen this picture? 
the 4B area, this is where we live, right? From the Beltway to the beach in Galveston and from the Bay to the Brazoria County line, this is the 4B area. 500,000 people live in the 4B area. 500,000 people live in the 4B area. Just to help you put a frame of reference together, 500,000 people are bigger, uh, is bigger than the city of Sacramento, California. This isn't Houston. This is the 4B area. This is outside of the Beltway. 500,000, bigger than Sacramento, California, bigger than Atlanta, Georgia. 500,000 people live in the 4B area. Okay? Statistics tell us over 55%, over 55% of the people who live in the 4B area, um, when they were asked about their religious affiliation, they said that they had no religious affiliation. Not that they went to church on Easter at some church. No, they said that they had no religious affiliation. Over 55%. That is 275,000 people. That is as big as the city of Orlando, Florida. A city the size of Orlando, Florida, living where we go to school, where we go to work, where we drive to go to the grocery store, where we do all of our life. A city, a amount of people the size of Orlando, Florida, are all far from God. Have no religious affiliation, have no desire to, to, to know God at all. They're living their lives trying to be good. And what they don't know is their good will never be good enough. We live right next to them. Our church planning strategy needs to be focused on people and the gospel. Our hearts should be broken for these people and their families even more than it was broken for their loss of their homes. We, uh, I worked with many people in this room cleaning out people's homes, taking out everything that people owned in their entire lives, even the sheetrock that was on their walls and throwing it in the front yard. And that does not even compare to the state of the 275,000 people in our area's heart. Driving through these neighborhoods and seeing piles of debris down the road and all the, all the smells and odors and all the bugs and rodents, that does not even compare to the hearts of these people that are far from God, that live in our neighborhood. 55%, that's more than every other person you see, has no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. Guys, this is long past the Bible belts. There, you might see church buildings all over the place, but the reality is every other person that you see probably does not have a relationship with Jesus. Paul and Silas, their plan, go into a community, share the gospel, let people know that I know that you've been trying to do it yourself and obviously it's not working out. Trust in the Lord Jesus to save you. He is the one who has the power. He reigns over all. He wants to have a relationship with you. That was their plan. That was their plan. And you know what, team? We are primed and ready for growth. We have been showing the gospel so well. Over 200 homes that we've been in, 
That's more homes that are uh, a part of our church. It's pretty awesome. We've been showing the gospel so well, but if we only show the gospel and that's not ever accompanied with sharing the gospel, then we're nothing better than Habitat for Humanity. We're just a good organization helping people out. But I don't want to be a part of just a good organization that help people out. I want to have a legacy of life change. I want to see family trees altered because of the gospel coming into people's hearts, not us just putting some walls back up in their homes. We do this by showing the gospel, and then we accompany that by sharing the gospel. We share the good news. And when the gospel comes, households are changed. Households are changed. Lydia's house, her household was changed. They were now followers of God, right? The, the jailer, his household was changed. This young lady who used to tell fortunes, her household was changed. The gospel does not allow you to remain as you are. It demands a life change. And these families became the foundation of the church at Philippi. And hear me say this, church. I love that we want to plant churches. But the reason we want to plant churches is because there's 275,000 people that are far from God that live next door to us. So what we need to be focused on is hearts that are far from God. Looking at them and saying, hey, I love you enough to let you know that we're going to help you build your house back. While we do this, I want to share you about the greatest story that has ever been told, the story that has impacted my life um, and continues to impact my life every day. The fact that Jesus reigns over everything. He is good. He is reaching his hand out to you. You are down and out, but he has never given up on you. Take a hold of his hand and trust in him for salvation. That's why we plant churches. Not to have our name plastered anywhere, but so that names are written in the book of life. Our legacy as a church will have nothing to do with how we help people in Harvey. In 10 years, the work of our hands is going to be nothing more than a, a note in a seller's disclosure. But the lives that are changed by the gospel, because we shared it with them and we showed God's love, that's something I'll ask any one of us. 55% of the people that live around us are far from God. Do our hearts break for them the way it does when we see their home in shambles? Because if we care more about their temporary dwelling place than their eternal life, then we have our priorities mixed up. And it starts here today. Go out and we help people build their homes back. But as we're doing that, when 
when we have the opportunity, just like Paul did, what must I do to be saved? We open up our mouth and we tell people it is through Jesus alone, faith in him. It's by grace through faith we are saved in Jesus Christ. He is reaching out your, his hand. You can't do it by yourself. Take a hold of him who can save you. This is how lives are changed. Let's begin to care more about eternal life than we do about temporary dwelling places. We see the exterior of people's homes destroyed by the storm, but we need to pray to begin to see the interior of these people's hearts that have been wrecked by sin. And maybe, maybe, maybe you are that person. You're one of the 275,000 people sitting in this room today because you know what? I just came because I didn't know have anything else to do today. Or I came because those people have been really nice to me. Or I came because such and such keeps bugging me. That's great. I want to let you know that you don't have to do anything. That God knows who you are and he loves you. And he is reaching out his hand and saying, just grab it. You can't do it yourself. Just grab the hand of Jesus. Maybe that's you. My encouragement is we're going to sing a song. and If you want to have a conversation, I'll be in the back. I'd love to have a conversation about your eternal dwelling place today. There's no better conversation that we could have. But I would imagine that if 55% of our community, 275,000 people in our community that are far from God, each and every one of you have people, not a person, have people in your life that are far from God, that need to know the love of Jesus, that are just like the Philippian jailer, that have been seeing some stuff happen and need to be told why we're doing what we're doing. Church, let's do not be silent in this moment. We are primed for an explosion of growth. We have been showing the gospel so well, but we have to accompany it by sharing the gospel with those around us. So let's be those kinds of people. Let's begin to start a revival in this community because we are going to share the gospel and see lives change and then see homes build back together. It's the only way it happens. This is our church planning strategy, if you want to know it. Share the gospel and see live chains, whole households come to know Jesus. That's it. Let's be a part of that. Let's be a part of that. If you need to come and have a conversation about life change, I would love to have that conversation. But let me pray for us. We'll sing. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for, uh, for this day. Thank you so much for the story that, that you loved us even though when we were unlovable, you showed us love and that you're reaching out your hand to grab a hold of us. And Lord, there's 275,000 people in this community that need to hear that good news, the best news. Let us be the kind of people, let us be the kind of church that doesn't just show the gospel, that we share the gospel as well, that that is always accompanied by our showing of the gospel. If there's anyone here today, Lord, that wants to reach their hand out and grab a hold of he who can save, give them the boldness. Stand up. Have a conversation. We love you. We're grateful that you want to use broken vessels to do your work. So Lord, come and have your way among us. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.